You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, good evening. Glad you're all here. How many of you have been to all the sessions? Awesome. How many of you, is this is your first session? All right. Good. Well, welcome. Glad to be here. Thankful uh, for the opportunity. Thank you again, Pastor and the team and just your guys is welcoming us here, not really knowing us. And uh, it's been a blast. We've had a great week. And uh, so I want to welcome our friends, Michael and Lee. We've known Lee since my, they come up from Palmer. Um, they drove all the way from Palmer to be here today. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've known Lee since my uh, 30 years, since my youngest, like the baby showers, the first time they met and we became fast friends. And uh, so we've known each other a long time. So it's hap- I'm happy that they're here tonight. So we. Church League softball, that's right. I, lo- I used to love Church League softball until I found out how competitive I was. And then I had to repent all the time, you know, so, yeah, same, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we've been focusing a little bit on Colossians chapter 2 just because it's been kind of the reference point for us of what we've been looking at. So I just want to start by rereading that. Then we'll kind of go back to the little places that we were. Uh, if you were here for the first time or maybe you missed a session, I know that they're putting this up on the podcast area for you to go back and reference. And again, what we've tried to do is hit some high points along the way to get you real hungry and investigative and want to go on a path of discovery. Tonight, I've worn my hiking shirt because we're going to go on a path of discovery, not only in this session. But our next session as well, and we're going to take a journey together. And so uh, I'm just the tour guide today, and, uh, and I'm excited about that. But please go back and do that, and we've given some uh, little things here and there so that hopefully along the way the pastoral staff will go, let's invite them back someday. Um, and so, again, thank you for all that. Colossians chapter 2 says this, So let no one judge you, this is in verse 16 and 17, in food or in drink or recording a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So we've talked about how when Paul writes this, he references some things in the Old Testament, festivals, new moons, celebrations, and really what he's doing is he's, for the Jewish listener at the time, he's really encompassing what would be the law, the law and the prophets and the ways that you're living life. And he's saying all those things outline Christ. I mean, he is the one that is the shadow maker of that, that everything that you're doing is pointing to him. So everything God established was pointing to him and getting people ready. And so when we think about seeing shadows the first night, we talked about, we just went into the Old Testament and looked at those places where we saw him in those Old Testament stories. And for some, how many of you saw it like this story for the first time you saw references of Jesus? Really cool places. So we highlighted a few of those. Now, remember, we could start in Genesis 1 and go all the way through, but we hit some high points. The next night, we talked about him coming kind of out of the shadows, and we last night talked about him referencing, now he's in the New Testament, now he's living this life, and his life, his miracles, everything is pointing or connecting himself to the Old Testament because those shadows were pointing towards him and they were linking together. And how many of you saw some of the last night, those New Testament stories in a brand new way? Like they really connected him to that Old Testament passages that then said, hey guys, I'm the one. Maybe he didn't say it outright, but it was the clues he was giving along the way. And we'll hit some of those again tonight as we we talk about that. So tonight what I want to focus on is catching shadows. How do we then do this? How do we connect the dots? How do we as uh, people of the Word do this? And so what I want to do is bring out some points tonight. This is by no means exhaustive, actually, over uh, the course of this afternoon, I just uh, kind of I, uh, filtered a bunch of stuff out because I really want to focus on some high points. This is usually a session that would last a couple hours in the, in the study part and multiple sessions usually, but I want to hit some high points so that I can really equip you with some tools that will be just really simple ones so that you can start doing this for yourself. Because 
uh, Pastor Mark, I so much appreciated last night what you said after is, this is not meant to be a discouragement, like I need to know all this. This is meant to excite you for the yes. Word of God, yes. that you go, there's a piece of gold there, I'm going to go in after it. Yes. You yes. know, and that's the thing. It's, and it's not even like, I, I always tell people, this is not cool information. It's not cool to connect these things. It is to give a deeper understanding of the Word of God to deepen yes. our faith that yes. we might be immovable during this time. That's what's important. We want to go deeper. Remember the snorkel and the mask. I want to show you a deeper appreciation for the beach you already reside in so that you'll never give that up. Come on. So that's what my hope is, is that maybe I've thrown out a lot of information and stuff, but I just want you also to know that this is something that's been a part of my life since the mid-90s. Um, and, and, and I just like to get people on the path of it. How many of you know it's not a sprint? We're supposed to just be called to learn and, and take a little bit at a time and no matter how old we are, whatever, however we get there. And so that's what we want to talk tonight about is just some, some things that will be important. Remember, again, I've said over and over again, this is not about a transfer of information, but a discovery. It's to encourage you to go out on the trails and find some things, to go gold panning. How many of you have ever been gold panning? I'm jealous. I've never been. So I just, I watch all the gold shows, but never get out there. So, um, but it's about that sense of discovery. Remember a few things about this Bible. Remember it was written to an Eastern audience. That's very important. We are a Western people, oftentimes very Greek oriented in the way we think and the way we do things. And, and so what happens is we'll never change that. We're always going to think that way. Here's the difference. In the Greek style of thinking, Western style thinking, is very linear. We go move from one point to the next. How many of you have ever known that uh, uh, oftentimes we want to just learn the next new thing? What's the, what's the next Dorito flavor? <laughs> I don't know if you like Doritos. Oh, okay, how about this one? What's the next new iPhone? You know, right? What's the next new Bible study? We, we want to get, we're actually thinking we're getting places because we found the next new thing. Paul ran up against this when he was in Greece. They actually invited him because I want to hear what the next new thing is. And that's that thing that we find even in the church. I often tell people, uh, what did pastor preach on last Sunday? Does anybody remember? Just Well, not this last Sunday. <laughs> he got the Sunday before, not the not, It was about blankies, yeah. You know, I wasn't even here, ladies and gentlemen, and I know it had something about three chairs. Right? Yeah, a couple weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, what was it this last Sunday, those that were in this service? Do you remember? Stronger. and Okay, so one of the things that happen oftentimes, it's not because the pastor didn't preach a powerful message, but we often learn beyond our obedience. Write that down if you can. We're often learning beyond our obedience. That's why we forget. See, in the Eastern culture, they always taught that you didn't know it until you saw it. Until you saw it lived out in your life. And so, how many of you, some of your fathers have done this, you know, or you, you ask your kids to do something and you say, I didn't hear you repeat after me. Or, you know, you must not have heard me because you're not doing anything about it. That's kind of the reference point where we're just trying to get from one point to the other. But the Eastern mind, where Western is linear, the Eastern mind is circular, meaning it's going to repeat, it's going to come back around. One is static, Western, Eastern is dynamic. So those ways to look at Scripture is going to be a little different. Now again, we're never going to be Eastern culture if we've been raised here, but we can look at it that way because that's the way this has been written. So I want to know this voice, so I want to learn how to hear the voice of this, and sometimes we just have to think a little differently when we come to the text. And so that's some things that are going to be important. Again, things to remember. How important it is, first and foremost, to know, again, as I said in the first session, that these were Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. He was raised in a Jewish nation. He celebrated very Jewish things. He learned Jewish. So guess what? He spoke and did things that were very Jewish. Those will come out in the scriptures. And if we don't know them, we'll miss some things. Now, does that mean that we're going to miss important things and, and, and oh no, what's going to happen? That's not what I'm saying because God is faithful. But how many of you know you want to go? If 
Jesus the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that gave his life for us. How many of you want to know everything you can about what he's saying? And so this is a tool to remember that getting a hold of the culture a little bit will help you unlock. It's almost, culture, Pastor, is almost the Rosetta Stone to kind of help us interpret some of the things that, that Jesus is doing and teaching, and even his disciples. I ran across something in 1 Thessalonians. Turn with me there, if you would. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Um, I want to read something that shook me a little bit to my core when I first read this years ago. 1 Thessalonians, he's writing uh, to the church at Thessaloniki, and he says something to them that oftentimes we just go past, right past. Now remember, since they are Jewish and everything's going on, there's going to be slang, terminology, things that are going to be done that if we don't understand the culture a little bit, we may miss. And, and so some of the writers kind of already assume you know some of those things. Isn't that great? Right? Isn't that great that they assume we know it? But listen to what Paul says to Thessaloniki in, in chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, But of times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Oftentimes we shout that out. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Right? But what did verse 1 tell us? Verse 1 actually says something that shook me to my core. He says, times and seasons, brother, I don't have to teach you about because you already know them. Well, for most of us, we just skip past that. But do you actually know what that means? That actually means times, celebrations of Leviticus chapter 23. The festivals of the Lord, the seasons of the Lord listed in Leviticus chapter 23 where you're celebrating Sabbaths and Passover and tabernacles. That's times and seasons. I don't need to write to you about that because you already know. Now, why did that shake me to the core? Because I didn't know. And listen to what he says next. We always go, he's coming as a thief in the night. But he actually says, I don't have to tell you that. You, through the study of the customs and celebrating some of these customs, know he's coming like a thief in the night. They figured out that Jesus was coming as a thief in the night because of the celebrations of the festivals listed in Leviticus chapter 23. That's cool, but it's also scary in the sense that I'll miss some of that, and the writers assume you already know that. Even like Luke chapter 22, or even 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Luke chapter 22, they're going through this uh, supper with Jesus, right? And it says that he picks up the cup after supper. They actually tell us that picks up the cup after supper, and, and they do this particular thing, and Jesus says some words. What does he say about that cup? This cup. This cup. That's exactly right. He says, this cup is the cup of my blood that's going to redeem you, and this cup of redemption. But also, Paul says, hey, he picked up the cup after supper. He's assuming you know which cup he's talking about, and the night of Passover, you drink from the cup four different times. It wasn't one cup. The reason they say after supper, because they want you to know which one, because that one is actually called, from Exodus chapter 6, the cup of redemption. It was always drunk after supper. So that's why the writer says, hey, I want you to know this, that he picked up the cup after supper. You'll know what that means. See, isn't it? So you can see the tremendous value of knowing it. Does that mean we're discouraged? No, it means I want to know. I mean... What does it mean? What does that mean for our life? And so those things become kind of important. I want to go back to a tradition that we talked about last night, is, is that the tradition of the rabbi. Remember, uh, um, remember that while Jesus was on the cross, remember I talked about how he would just give you triggers and it would remind you of something? Remember, what is, uh, is he on the cross and he cries out? What does he cry out? Father, what does he say? My God, my God. My God, my God why have you for... Right, and we go, wow, you know, what's happening? But how many of you know, what is he doing there? He's doing what? He's quoting the Psalms, right? Psalm 22. Let's go there for a moment. Could we do that? Psalm 22. Again, this helps because we know he's, we want to look for that. We're not just going to say, okay, he, he's crying out to the Father because he's hurting, he's in pain and all those things, which probably are partly true. But because we recognize the teaching of a rabbi, we realize he's actually crying something out from the cross to his disciples, to the listeners, and they are doing what? Well, they know that scripture by heart. They're making the connections. All of a sudden, he's actually still teaching them from the cross. 
It's a big deal. Now listen to some of the things on Psalm 22, because now we're not just going to take it for face value. He says this in verse 1 of that, of that chapter. This is a Psalm of David. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, I've heard that before. But now I need the whole context of it. It says, you are so far from helping me and my words from roaring. Let's, rever- let's go down a little bit because I, I just want to hit some high points here. I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men. This is verse 6. And despised of the people, all that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip, they shake their head. He trusted in the Lord that he deliver him. Let him deliver him now, seeing he's delighted in him. That sounds familiar. Isn't that what's going on right there? The same exact things. They're saying, hey, you know, you saved everyone else, you know, save yourself and all these things. Let's continue down. Look at, uh, um, look at uh, verse like 13. They gaped at me with their mouths, the ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You've brought me into the dust of de- death. Dogs have compassed me. Anybody know what dog means in Hebrew? Actually, if you say dog in Hebrew, it means fish. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But dogs always represented the Gentiles. So actually, what's going on right now? The Gentiles are compassing me. They're the ones, you know, putting them on the cross. They're the ones standing a guard. The dogs are surrounding me. They assemble the wicked and enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. May I tell you my bones, they look and they stare at me. Listen to this part, ladies and gentlemen. They part my garments among them and they cast lots upon my vesture. This is it. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus was being the teacher that he had always been? And he says, you know, guys, I want you to know this looks like the most desperate situation at all times. And those that will hear this message, hear what I'm saying, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what he was doing? In the midst of their most painful experiences, they see their friend, rabbi, brother, son, dying on that cross. He was sending them a message. Can I tell you, just for a moment, that's the heart of God. That in these desperate times, if we'll be looking, we'll be listening, we'll take a moment and look around us, he'll speak to us if we'll just listen and I want you to know something that's happened, and, and I, I probably preach this, and I don't, I, don't, I don't come, you know, Tim said something even last night. He says, I'm going to take a step to the side and say something that's important. What's happened is when we don't understand the culture and what's going on at the moment, we can take a scripture out of context and ultimately teach wrongly about it. And this scripture had been taught wrongly for so long. And I want to tell you, there's been preaching about how God had to turn his back on his son because he couldn't look upon the sin. And can I tell you, that is unbiblical as unbiblically it could be. That is such a false teaching. I've, I've repented myself. Why? Because that's not what it was. God hadn't forsaken him or turned his back. We are actually taking scripture out of context. He was actually, if you read the entirety of the book of Psalms, he actually says, God, you have not forgotten about me. I will declare your righteousness. It's actually a hopeful psalm. This is what happened to me, but I'm going to come back and I will declare it. Here's why I resist that is because, first of all, you've taken a scripture out of context. You've added other scriptures that you've taken out of context, and now you've changed who God is. If God can't look at his son because of sin, I'm in trouble. Trouble, right? And that makes me mad. Because why? When you change who he is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in trouble of deception. And I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. That's why the entire narrative is important. And that's why we want to understand the context so that we don't come away with bad teachings that tell us, that change the nature of Almighty God. Jesus wasn't saying you turn my back. he turned his back on him. He's actually saying, God, this is what's happening. And God, here, I want to portray this message because you wrote it this way beforehand. It's actually a message of hope. Guys, hold on. I'm coming back. We'll declare it to the world. Amen? Amen. And so, 
Again, it's just important to see that. Now, why did we lose the Jewish voice of our scriptures even today? Some say, well, why is that important? How many of you know the Jewish voice of the scriptures is important because they've been studying it for thousands of years. It was given to them. And how did we lose that? Some historical things happened. I'm not a historian, but I want to tell you a few things happened that where we lost some of this because the traditions and those things are important to help us understand the words of Jesus. And I think the enemy was kind of using it against us for a while to keep it away from us because it really is a key. What happened? Well, as you know, Jews started believing in Jesus, but they still celebrated together in a synagogue with Jews that did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Gentiles started coming in that would believe that he was the Messiah. They also would worship together, but there was a thing called persecution that began to rise up. Christians began to be persecuted, Gentile and Jew alike. Then there was Jewish persecution. This began to drive them apart. So the voice that understood the Torah and the prophets was lost out of the church. And then something really sad happened is our, our early church fathers, I'd name them, but I may offend somebody. The early church fathers were anti-Semitic, most of them. Jerome, Justin Martyr, Augustine. I mean, we could come all the way up to Luther. They're all very anti-Semitic. Did God use them? Yeah, he did. He had, there's some great teachings that they had. But the sad part of it is that many of them were anti-Semitic and wanted nothing to do with Jewish people. And it really came to a pinnacle when Constantine, the emperor, kind of came to power. And then he said he kind of had this experience, which I can't either agree with or deny. But how many of you know, some people become Christians all of a sudden when it's election year. <laughs> I'm not saying anything to Corinthians, but nonetheless, that was a joke, a heavy one, by the way, but nonetheless, we, because uh, Constantine saw this Christianity rising, he thought, well, what's the best way to make sure I get their, them in my camp? I'm going to have an experience. And because of that, about 325 and other councils around that time, he actually said this. We want to separate ourselves as far as we can from the Jewish people. And so we're going to put Easter as far away from Passover as we possibly can, and we will take no input from them. So guess what happened? We started going further away. And we lost the sense of that voice, that teaching was there, that base that was there, and we kind of forgot about it. But God knows, right. <laughs> and He's bringing it back because He wants His people right. to know. Right. Illiteracy is on the rise in the church today, but I think God is saying, people prepare once again, and He's restoring yes. a voice back to us to get us back on track, to bring things back into context, because there's something about somebody that believes in the Word of God, believes it so much. I remember this one that really believed the Word beyond anything else, and when he was tempted of the devil, all he did was quote those passages and the surrounding context, and the devil says, I have no place here, and he left. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something about people that know the Word of God. Amen? And so, how do we get some of this back? Read books. Read historical books. You know what I do? I even add Jewish commentary into my reading. Now, they may not know Jesus, but they do know the Word, and I take a little bit of the meat, cast out a little of the bones, and you know what I do? It helps me to begin to think a little bit more Eastern. And I see things that are deeper. So I encourage you in your studies to bring in a little bit of some Jewish commentary into your studies, especially of the Old Testament. It's going to help you. Is it everything? Of course not. It's commentary, right? But it's helpful to restore some of that. Here's some questions that are going to help you in your studies. I hope you're taking notes tonight. The first thing that I'll say even before these questions, number one, slow down. If you want to connect the dots, I know this isn't rocket science, but what I found is people want to read the Bible in a year. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. But would I encourage you to maybe read a book in a year? That'd be great. Do you see what I'm saying? How many of you have read the Bible in its entirety? Most people. How many of you read, let's say, 70% of the Bible? Most people. So why not slow down? Because what's happened is you've read that so much, pastors preached on that passage so much, and you've lost a little bit of it because it's become a little bit of a lullaby to you, and you shut off because you thought, I've already heard it. The lullaby effect can work both ways. Yes. 
And the lullaby effect is affecting the way you're hearing the sermons on Sunday morning and the way you're reading your Bible. If you've noticed, sometimes you get tired and weary when you've read a passage you've read so many times and you've already assumed what it means. Stop reading it in other translations like Pastor Tim said. Uh, maybe read it, hear it in the audio. Yes. Just slow it down. Replay that last chapter. Yes. Do it again the next day. Take time to look at every variable, every part of that sentence. So if anything would help you connecting the dots, please slow down. I'm not against the one-year plan, but I think there's something powerful when you start slowing down and seeing afresh. Some of you have gotten weary on your Bible study. It's maybe because the lullaby effect is really implanted in you. And so that's maybe why you're falling asleep. So would you just take a moment, kick down the brakes and the gear a little bit, and just slow down. Second thing that I think is a little bit of a side note, take, find a Bible that has no chapters and verses. There are great Bibles out there that have removed all the chapters and verses. You might say, Lynn, why do you ask us to do that? Because you need to read it as a story the way it was originally written. The chapters and verses are great for study. It's great for referencing, but it's not, it, it was kind of given for us to reference and to study, but it's not the way it was originally intended. When they throw down the Moses, right. the scroll, it was one continuous scroll. Yes, Did right. you know that there's no punctuation? Is like, this is one of the cool things. Can I give you a little touch of Hebrew here? There is no, there is no periods at the end of the sentences. That's cool. What's that mean? It's one continuous story. It was written to be read like a story. Sometimes when we use it as a reference or just a devotional book or a manual of life, we miss its purpose. It's a narrative of Almighty God. And removing those chapters and verses, you know you do this. I'll just read one chapter. And that's all of a sudden not a, no, no longer a mark to, to like stop or whatever or next thought. It's actually where your goal is to read the next day. Maybe if you took that away, all of a sudden you'd go, man, this is such a good story. And Netflix starts asking you, are you still watching? <laughs> Only people that have had that happen. <laughs> You're binging. But how many of you know if we wouldn't have those, we would be so engaged in the story, sometimes that chapter stops us. Right. And so if you find, there's a, some really good ones out there that, yeah. that was just the story form, actually puts the scriptures back into that order that's needed, encourage you to do that. That's one of the tools that will really help you. Also, the next thing is context. Context, and did I mention context? Um, I wanted to find what context is. Context is important. Remember, you can do all things through scripture taken out of context. <laughs> How many of you know that? Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, what's the Monsters, Inc. one? Uh, uh, well, put that scripture back. Or so help me. Yeah, so, so what is context? I want you to know something that's important. Sometimes we have placed context as being the verse before and the verse after. No, <laughs> that's not context. No, no, no. It's the writer. It's the audience. It's the time period, it's what's happening around them, and it's the entirety of the book. What's the heart and the intent of the book? Actually, you'll, I, I've, we've done this where we'll quote something, let's say out of the book of Romans, uh, to a Jewish man, and we'll say, uh, chapter 8, what do you think about chapter 8? And he'll just step back and go, well... Give me the entirety of the book. I can't tell you what eight means without me knowing the entirety of the book and understand by the time I get there, I'll know the intent of the writer, where he's writing it to and what's going on. So context is about date, time, writer, audience. And you might say, that feels like a lot of work. It is, but it's fun, right? And don't you want truth? Aren't you tired of somebody quoting scripture at you out of context? Well, let's not do it ourselves. Let's take the entirety and spend some time. It's really fun. Find out the background of the book, where it was written from. Did you know that some of Paul's writings of where he wrote it from gives yes. context to the yes. entire book? That's right. And it actually steers the book. And some of us miss that. And all of a sudden we're quoting this and quoting that. Cover this. Don't pray this way. Women can't do this. Yeah, okay. Uh -oh. oh, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Woo! Uh, we're moving right along. I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get a lot of things there. Uh, 
And also, remember this, write this down, and uh, I don't know how much time, because I'm running out of time already that I'm going to have, but remember this, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Wow, that's good. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And that's important, because that audience makes a big difference. There are things that there's principles, but it doesn't always apply directly, because it depends on who it was written to. It'll change. Tonight, we're going to be looking why the book of Genesis chapter 1 was written, and who it was written to, and it's going to look a lot different than it's ever looked before, or at least I hope. Let's continue. Here's some questions now. I love leaving that as a hang, anger there. You know, it's not written for me. You know, that's a, that's a real good one because that's a, yeah. So number one, first question I want to ask when I'm reading the Bible, I've slowed down. I want to put it in context. I'm trying to study the, the culture a little bit. Again, this is all little things, baby steps, baby steps. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, have I seen this before? I'm reading the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. The first question I should be asking is, have I seen this before? Have I heard this before? How many of you know there, here's a, here's a, a good example. John chapter 20, about verse 22, Jesus is back on the scene. He comes to his disciples, and they're all kind of in a group. I don't know what it looks like. I'm not as creative as uh, Dallas, you know, I can't come up with all that stuff that he comes up with when it comes to the chosen, um, but all of a sudden they're a big group of people, the disciples are there, he comes and he, I won't, I'll stand far enough back, I'll go this way, he blows on his disciples, I didn't want to do that to anybody, that might be offensive, uh, he blows on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, well that's kind of weird, don't you think, now if you're here Sunday morning, I ask the question, why is the fish, the coin, the line, the lake, all those things, those were all clues, but also, don't you you know that he could have just came up and touched him and received the Holy Spirit? Or how many of you know he could have just spoken? Mark received the Holy Spirit, but he blew on them. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's weird. And so, when it's weird, I ask myself, and then when I all of a sudden I go, Maybe I've heard that before, it teaches me a little bit of maybe he's saying something without saying something. Have you heard that before? Where? What? That's right. Where did I hear it before? Well, when the Creator kneeled down to that pile of dust and blew on that pile of dust, Adam came out of the earth. Right? What is he referencing? He's saying, guys, my death, my burial, my resurrection has given you new life. I have recreated you, and I'm taking you back there to know where you stand and what your purpose is. He's actually taking us back there to reference that. That's why he blew on them. It was a clue. And so we're meant to go back and go, man, that's what it means to be redeemed. I'm brand new. I'm formed by the hand of God, and he's restored my relationship to him. So that's why he blew. I think that that's important. As we look at things that we've heard before, the next thing that we look for, again, there's many. I'm just giving you a few. The next thing we look for is patterns. Have, have these things repeated over and over again? Is there repetitions of words? One of the great ones, I think uh, uh, me and Mark were talking about this after service last night. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, fire comes down from heaven, right? And, uh, and, and if we've been in the Pentecostal church long enough, we've heard enough, we've heard the preaching where the guy's voice changes all of a sudden, fire, you know what I mean? How many of you have ever heard that? You know, all of a sudden you're talking totally normal, but when they say fire, it's like fire, you know, the fire come, you know, and all that. And those things are, we want the fire of God in our lives, right? But maybe that was a clue, right? Maybe it was a clue rather than anything else we think of. Why would it be a clue? Because we want to know what's going on, and for some reason or another, this is a pattern that seems to run through the Scriptures. There's this fire that happens. I don't think the fire was something to be chased after. I actually think it was a little bit of a clue. What was it saying? Well, I've seen that pattern before. Where is it? Well, when Moses is called, what happens? There's fire that represented what? God's presence. And then, when he brings the children of Israel, what happens? God comes down in fire on the mountain 
That would seem now that that's God's presence, right? Well, then as we develop this pattern and we follow it all the way through, all of a sudden Moses comes down and builds a tabernacle for God, does it all the design, creates it just as God had said, and then he does the sacrifice, applies the blood into that, and, and dedicates it to God. And what ends up happening? Fire moves over that tabernacle as a representation of God's presence. Wait a second, it doesn't end there. I see another place that fire happens. When's it happen? Solomon decides to make a temple on Mount Moriah. He then builds it just as the pattern would be as it comes from Moses, builds it, gets it all done, prays, sacrifices, anoints it, sets it aside for holy work of God. And what's the next thing that happens? Fire comes down onto that temple as a representation of God. Oh, what happened on the day of Pentecost? What is it teaching me? Because I see a pattern and a repetitive thing. It means I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am God's resting place. Wow. See, I've never had the fire like visibly seen, but Paul was so sure of this that he actually writes in the book of Corinthians that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, how did he come away with that thought? Where did he get that? Well, he saw a pattern, and then the fire on the day of Pentecost, he write, wrote assuredly to the Corinth church, kind of rebuking them and saying, don't forget who you are. Fires come down. God's Spirit. What happened? How did it happen? Jesus applied His blood to our lives. He cleansed this old tabernacle of His that was originally His. He dedicated it, and He came and consumed it with His presence. We are His tabernacle. Yes. And so that's those patterns. You want to look for those and, and see if they're there. There's other things that are patterns, but we're going to continue on. The next thing you want to look at is details. Are there details given in this passage that seem random in nature? Is there something in the story like days listed? Is it day three, day six? Is there days listed? That should make you question and wonder. Next thing is, is there a location listed in, in the story? Is there a tree named? <laughs> I'm just throwing things out there. But sometimes, how many of you, we run over those details? Like in Matthew, in chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew tells us that it was after six days. Well, what's that have to do with anything? Well, I'm going to start looking because there must be a reason he's telling me that. Why did that one dude that's really tiny climb up a sycamore tree in, in Jericho? Well, what does the sycamore tell us? We need to look at that. And what is it telling us deeper? Those things are important. It gives us that depth. Look at John chapter 7. I want to show you something that's important. Am I going too fast tonight? Some people jump right out there and others are going to say, I was going to say yes, but <laughs> they beat me to it. John chapter 7, um, let's just go to verse 2, well, verse 1 says in John chapter 7, after these things, verse 1, uh, he walked in Galilee, uh, in the Galilee, for he not walk uh, amongst uh, Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him, and now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Why is that detail given? Well, it's given, the writer recognizes that you need that information to understand what Jesus is about ready to say. So everything that's going to happen through 7 and all the way into about halfway of 8 now relates to the idea that it's the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. Why is that important? Because Jesus is going to go into the temple grounds and he's going to begin to speak about some things. Now, what's really crucial is those words are going to make more sense when you know what's going on in the temple and understanding that it's the Feast of Tabernacles. So don't miss that. Yeah, there's river, you know, it's going to flow out of our belly. That's powerful, right? But when you dig deeper and understand what's going on in Tabernacles, you'll recognize that it's all through the Scriptures was preparing for that moment. When he says he's the light of the world, it'll make more sense because you know it's Tabernacles. Why is that? Because... Closer to the end of the feast, there was four massive candelabras that stood in the, the temple courts. They were massive. They were big, tall candlesticks, 70 to 80 feet high, some say, with four different bowls at the top. They threw the old priest's clothing in them, lit them on fire, and actually it says that it went. you could sometimes see that light all the way into the Galilee region. They only did this during the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's at this point that he actually says, and it was called the light of the world, and he says, I am this. I'm the light of the world. And it's interesting that it's wrapped by priest garments. And he says he's the light of the world. You see how 
those things, all the things going on when Jesus is speaking about the river of life is all about the, this, this thing going on in the temple that is the pouring out of the water sacrifice. And he's saying those things to connect himself to something they've been doing all the way back from Leviticus 23, celebrating coming out of the desert. And actually during this Feast of Tabernacles, they're praying for the rains of their harvest. And he's actually saying, you've been praying? Well, I'm here yes. because it's you that needs the river. It's you that needs. And how many of you know when you live in the yeah. desert, you pray for water? Yes. <laughs> because they have no other sources. And so there's something that happens when you put those details together. Did you know the woman caught in adultery happens in chapter 8. And did you know that Jesus is writing in the sand, right? How many of you remember that? Did you know that because of what they say in verse 2, that it's the Feast of Tabernacles, I know what he writes in the sand? Isn't that cool? Hanger, let's continue. <laughs> it's true. There's an actual scripture that tells us. But we know that because of what's happening, because it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, some say that that story wasn't originally there. That might be true, but somebody along the way, as they were transcribing that, said, you know what, you missed this story, and it happened here, and it's really, really important, and it has the characteristics of Jesus. It has the characteristics of John's writings, and so maybe it was added later, but it's a real story, and it happens perfectly because of what's going on in the Feast of Tabernacles. So if you want to know about that, you can email us. <laughs> The next thing, have you ever wondered why at the, uh, the, the man uh, at the, uh, that was paralyzed by the pool for 38 years, have you ever wondered why they tell you it's 38 years? Why is that detail listed? Have you ever wondered that? No, we just usually go, it's no big deal, 38 years. Well, here's what I say. Dude, that's a long time, right? <laughs> And, but how many of you know that place was packed with people? He could have decided to heal anybody, but all of a sudden he goes through the people, steps over people, and gets to the guy at 38 years, laying lame there, and heals him. Why does he do that? I don't know. You're going to tell us, though. Yes, this one I will. <laughs> Pastor Marcus, you better tell me. <laughs> yeah. So, why the 38 years? Well, I've heard that before. And that story tells me a little bit more of why he's healing this paralyzed man, because it's actually a clue of the work he's doing. What else happened that somebody had been in a certain spot for 38 years and it was time to make them leave? They had circled that mountain for 38 years. It was Israel. They had circled the mountain for 38 years. Guys, you've gotten in your comfort zone. You've continued to do the same thing, but you must now pass over this place. Learn brand new. How many of you know the paralyzed man could get all the benefits of being paralyzed, but if he chose to walk, he was going to have to first learn how to walk, now work. He was going to have to do new things. It wasn't going to be just the old things. And just like the children of Israel, now I'm going to heal you. I'm calling you away from the mountain you've always been on, and we're no longer going to do the same thing. Do you see why he chose that man? He was given a hidden message to the children of Israel that I'm calling you to a new place. And where did they go after the 38 years? They pass over the brook Jabbok. Where did they go? They head to the Jordan River to enter into the promised land. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing healing. I'm calling you away from this mountain. I'm bringing you to the promised land. I'm the one. If you'll choose to go with me, it will be different. The, the, the bread's going to dry up. Uh, the, the, there's going to be water that's going to be different. But if you'll trust me, I've prepared a place for you. Come, will you go with me? So, pretty cool stuff if we just look. Locations, like we talked about last night, are important. Uh, details given like location, like the Jordan River, uh, the sycamore tree, why it happened there. Also a location that's important. Remember Peter had a vision? What did he have a vision of? He had a sheet. A sheet came down. And, and what happened after he had that vision? Where did he go? Yeah, Centurion's house up in Caesarea uh, Maritime. So, uh, but one of the things that we do find is a supernatural event happened. Uh, and they needed somebody to come. There was somebody that died. Does anybody remember who died? I believe it was Dorcas, right? Uh, yeah. And so they said, well, Paul's just a little ways away. Or I mean, Peter's just a little ways away. Why don't you call him? So he comes, raises her from the dead, and then hangs out with Simon the Tanner for a little while. And all of a sudden, it's there that he has the vision. Well, where's he at? He's at Joppa. Why is that important that he's at Joppa? 
God is about ready to speak to him about going to a Gentile nation. It's going to be a little freaky because he doesn't have belief systems that allow him to do that. He's going to have this supernatural vision that's going to call him to a Gentile people, and he's got a decision to make. Now, does that sound familiar? Why would he bring him into Joppa to show him to go to a Gentile people, which it's going to take some persecution to do that because he has to enter into his house. And that was fairly kind of illegal at that standard. Why would he bring him to Joppa to show him that? It was Jonah and the whale. Remember? Jonah, he, he went out of Joppa to go to Nineveh. The same thing. Where was he going? To a Gentile uh, people. He, yeah, he, he went away from Nineveh. He took the boat out of Joppa. So what was God doing? He was actually saying, make this decision. You know what happened to your... your uh... <laughs> Don't you love how God takes us to certain places? How many of you know it teaches me that He takes me to certain places to get my attention for certain things that He's about ready to do? And He took him there to remind him of what could happen. So, a couple quick things, and then we're going to go to the Scripture and try to do this on our own. And we've got just a few moments... Some things to be careful on. Go after those connections for a while. If you don't find it, if you can't come up with it, let it go. Move on. Does that sound fair? Yes. If it gets frustrating, you can't seem to connect it, move on. Can't seem to do anything, it's okay. Just let it go. It may come around again. Other thing, also be careful of allegorizing the Scriptures. <laughs> don't make the Scriptures say something that it's not. Don't give imagery to certain images in the Scripture that is, is not. That's important. I had somebody once tell me, yeah, I remember the Samaritan, he, he got robbed and he had his coat taken and, 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 and all this stuff happened and they, they emailed us. We had done a seminar recently there and, and the person goes, does that coat represent like anointing, authority? And I'm like, no, it's just a coat. What are you saying? How many of you know... The more we algorize it, the more that we make allegory out of these scriptures, the further we get away from the truth of what God's really saying. And the more we're opening ourselves up for deception. That code is a... Excuse me. Gum becomes a powerful weapon. Um, that code is just a code. And back in that time, it was important to have your code. But when you allegorize it, you take away the true meaning. Remember... Those guys didn't have some sort of weird key or legend, so don't put those in there. If you're putting legends like you need to know a certain code to understand the scriptures that they didn't have back in that day, you're probably missing the point. So be care careful on allegory. That can take you away. Also, uh, what's important is it's helpful if you take away, uh, uh, if you help take away some of the Bibles that have the subtitles over the passages already. Why is that important? Because it's already telling you what to believe about it. It's cool when you take those subtitles away. Maybe you'll see something you've never seen before. The subtitles have been added by some other person. Take those away. What if we, you know, I mean, think about the, think about, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? Well, as soon as you say that to me, are there all the other ones bad? Right? You know, how about the uh, the the... Uh, parable of the lost son. Well, maybe that parable isn't about what you always thought it was. Maybe if you look at the... Anyway, whole nother story. You see what I'm saying? Take some of those things off. It'll help you go even deeper than just letting it define for you. Let's start this and see if we can find some things real quick in these last 35 minutes that we have together. Uh, John chapter 1. We don't have that much time. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right away, what do we hear? In the, In the beginning, creation. So what is John using as kind of the framework of what he's writing? Creation. Listen to what it goes on to say. It, talks, it starts talking about life and light and light shining in the darkness. Where is John getting this? He's getting this from the creation account. 
He's actually saying, in the beginning, when you go back to the Scriptures, you'll realize that the story of Jesus is right there, and John is writing that accordingly. Look at what happens in verse 14. He goes from this creation story and John being involved in that creation story and John the Baptist being part of the story of Jesus. Then he goes on to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word actually means tabernacled among us. So what does he just has done? He went from Genesis chapter 1 to now the book of Exodus. Why is that? Because that's where God says, now I want to dwell with you as a people, and Jesus is fulfilling then the law. Isn't that interesting? So he goes from the creation account then to this next account of then the Exodus, and, and Almighty God is coming and tabernacling among us. Let's go all the way. You can take this all the way through. Uh, there's massive amounts of things that um, uh, are being said through here, but you'll note those first few. Here's where I want to go just to see if we've caught this before. Let's go down to verse 49 of chapter 1. It says, Nathanael answered and said, you, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Daniel, Daniel okay? A little bit, well, let's dig in. How many of you have heard that before? Asc <coughs> angels ascending, what is it? Jacob. Jacob, it's Jacob. So what am I supposed to do? Now, if you think of Jesus saying that just out of the blue, it sounds kind of weird, right? And how many of you have just gone on to chapter 2? I'm ready to go into the wedding, right? You just kind of continue because it's like, okay, yeah, great things are going to happen over Jesus' life. But he's actually saying, Nathaniel, go back there. Can we take a moment just to go back there and really see in context what he's saying without saying it? This is really cool. <laughs> Genesis in chapter 28, that's where it's going to happen. Genesis in chapter 28, and this happens in verse 10. It says, Jacob went out from Beersheba, went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place, tarried there all night, because the sun was set. He took the stones of that place, put them for his pillows, lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. That's, that was the scripture, right? Well, that's really cool, but what's the context of that? Because Jesus says you're going to see greater things. But what's the context? Where is Jacob going? On this journey in, in this chapter, where is Jacob going? He's going back to his family for what? Yep, and, and there's this restoration, but there's also he's going to get a bride. Remember, he's going to the land to go get a bride. Oh, well, wait a second. That sounds familiar to me. He's going to work and make payment for a bride. And how many of you know Jesus says, you're going to see greater things than this because I'm also on a journey to pay for a bride. Now, that doesn't end there. Wait till you see some of these things. That's where we know he's heading. But look at what happens while he's there. Here's a few things that are happening. Uh, and let's go to 29 where he arrives. Now, this is how you do it in context because remember, he quoted a small part, but he knew you knew this by heart. So you're going over the story and you're like, oh yeah, wait a second. This happened and this happened and this happened. Jesus actually lays out the, his entire life right in that little statement. Look at what happens in 29. Jacob went on his journey. He came into the land of the people of the east. <laughs> also remember, Jacob is going back to his own people. Right. What is Jesus doing? He's coming to the land of his people to find a bride. <laughs> Come on. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were how many flocks? Three. three flocks of sheep. That means, the rabbis always said, as soon as you see the word three, it means that you should begin to look. God is about ready to do something. Flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks, and there was a great stone upon the well's mouth. Wait a second, there's a great stone? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to keep on reading, but let's jump over to like verse 8, because you can go back and read this. 
and uh, let's say seven. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water the sheep, go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the, the well's mouth and water the sheep. While he yet spoke with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep that kept. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, this would be his bride, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone away from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban and his mother's brother, and Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voices, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's brother. What just happened they said, we can't roll away the stone. We need help. All of a sudden, he sees Rachel coming. What does he do? He rolls away the stone and reveals who he is after the rolling away the stone and waters the sheep for his father's household. There might be something there. There might be. <laughs> and actually, this word roll... Away the stone in Hebrew means to reveal. It means revelation. When you say the word revelation in, in Hebrew, like we have revelation in the Bible, when you say it in Hebrew, it's actually like rolling it away. Part of that word is made up with rolling away. Why is there a rolling away of the stone? Because when he came out of the grave, ladies and gentlemen, he just declared who he really was, that he is over death, he is over all things, and that he is from the Father to gather a bride to himself. And that story tells what he is on the path to do. And you know what's so cool? Right after he says that is chapter 2. And what happens on the third day? On the third day, there happens to be a wedding in Cana. That's just circumstances. It is. <laughs> it's just circumstances. Do you know who, you know what's, so crazy is, is that it's there that John actually notes that this could be like the first miracle. But in Hebrew, if we were to translate this back to, the, back to Hebrew, this word first can mean the greatest of all miracles. And actually, if we'll take time someday in the future and look, you're going to note that actually Jesus in the wedding of Cana brings revelation and connects him sto his, himself to multiple stories in those 11 verses. And by him turning wine, water into wine, he's connecting himself to Moses, to Joseph. He is doing incredible things. And actually, uh, <laughs> let's look at one thing. Can we do that before we go? And then we're going to get out of here. John, I want to look at this before we leave. John, and isn't it interesting there's also a wedding on the third day? Isn't it interesting that it mentions that uh, in this passage? We're going to talk about uh, tonight why. It says, The third day there was a marriage in, the, in Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. But then, go down to verse 8. He said to them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bore it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made into wine. He did not know where it was from. So the, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, said unto him, Every man at the beginning sets forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you've kept the good wine until now. Now, some of us go, yeah, he's kept the good wine because it's the best wine and all that. But he just gave us a key. The master over the ceremony was, was making sure that the wine was taken care of because it, it was a big deal to run out of wine. Wine is a representative of joy and celebration and all those things. And it was a big deal to run out of wine. But this just told us who was to oversee to make sure there was wine always at the marriage who was it? The bridegroom always made sure that the wine, because what does the master of the ceremony call for? Bring the bridegroom. Why does he say bring the bridegroom? Because the bridegroom was always over the wine to make sure they didn't run out. Let me tell you what just happened. Jesus just proclaimed that he was the bridegroom. Why? Because he's the one that made sure they didn't run out of wine. Isn't that cool? Come on. He is the bridegroom. He is the one that's come to pay a price. He paid the price of the bride. He laid it down. He went into death's very gut and won a battle for us and came up alive to take us home one day and give us that hope of eternal life. It is Him. The Scriptures declare it. And every part of this book is connected that you might know Him. 
Isn't that exciting? Amen. I know we covered a lot. We have to go. Maybe I covered too much. Broke a couple places along the way. But go back, listen. If you have any questions, make sure you reach out to us. Our email is on our cards. Many of you picked those up. There's a few more downstairs. My wife has some more. Email those. If you want um, a resource page from us of sites and books that we recommend, Maybe this is the first time you've started on this journey. Maybe you're somewhere along this journey, but you want to dig in more. You want some resources because we want to empower you. If you're interested in that, we've put together a resource page. It's not exhaustive, but we've highlighted some ones to start with, some web pages that we feel are safe and, and are well-balanced. Will you find some things that maybe you don't agree with? I hope so. Because how many of you know we should be challenged? We should be praying through that. We should be challenged in what we believe. Uh, but we want to send you that resource page. We'll send you a PDF of, of some places that you can go, some books that you can look at. And, uh, and because we've uh, run across this since the 90s, we also know the stuff that's out there. And we want to keep you away from some of that stuff because there's a lot of wild stuff out there. And so if you want that, just email us and we'll get you a PDF out and you can start a journey. And, and we hope this isn't the last time we'll gather together. We'll hope that we'll do it again in the future. But can we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this group of people that are hungry for your word. And God want to go deeper and deeper. And so, Lord, we just want to know more about you. And even as we're talking about growth and stronger, Lord, help us to grow in, in, in your word. Help us to become stronger in your word. Help faith to grow deep in our hearts and in our lives that we may be immovable. And then when the enemy comes, when circumstances come our way, we'll be able to stand up against those things that would try to tell us something different than we know this story tells us. And God, thank you for the story today. Thank you for the life that was given to let this story be in our hands. And Lord, we celebrate that we are part of this story in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks guys for spending a few days together. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.